come like right here. All right, if you're a parent and your kid is like, no, 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 bring them forward. You with your kid, come be with us. All right? All right. Now, um, kids, what's this about, this judging stuff? All right, I'm going to read. I won't do as good a job as Zoe. Yeah, you can check that out. We're good. All right. No, it's all right. We'll put it lower. No secrets here. <laughs> all right. Romans 2 verse 1 says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. You can get it, yeah. All right. Here's my question. All right, you know, that's actually kind of complicated. You got to appreciate Jesus. He condenses it into one sentence with about 10-ish words, right? Matthew 7, 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Can you guys repeat that after me? Do not judge, or you too will be judged, right? Wow. All right, so let's break it down. What does judge mean? Leona, what do you say? What does it mean? What is, he's all right. What does judge mean? What does that mean? Jenny, what does it mean? What does it judge? What's that? Yeah, right. So like in a courtroom, we're deciding if someone is guilty or innocent. Help me out. Somebody else. What does judge mean? Anybody? All right. I'll tell you what judge means. Multiple definitions, right? Didn't even go to the Oxford English because it's a children's sermon. All right. Um, <laughs> right? So a judge. When you make a judgment about somebody else, whether they're valuable or not, that's judging, right? When, someone, when there's a big contest and we need to make sure people follow the rules, that's judging, right? All right? But what about judge the person, right? Is that a thing? All right. Come on forward. I want to invite my judge forward. Now this week, thank you, this is, this is Judge Benton. Uh, this week, in, in actual history, uh, we had Ketanji Brown-Jackson was added to the Supreme Court, right? What's her job? Her job is to judge. Her job is to decide between right and wrong for the laws of the nation. That's a big deal, right? Now, Ben, he represents judging this morning, okay? If Ben is a judge, what is his job? Somebody, call it out, call it out. What's the answer? What's his job? Okay. Thank you. To make decisions, to decide between right and wrong. So a judge needs to decide between right and wrong, between guilty and innocent. Now, Selah, Zoe, help me out, guys. Is that a big or a small job? That's a big job, right? So Ben needs to know all about different laws, right? But here's the thing, guys. Ben also needs to know things that are impossible for Ben to know, right? Let's imagine my two children, they disagree. And they say, Ben, you decide. Now, Ben doesn't know my children that well. He certainly doesn't know what happened. And most important of all, Ben can't tell what is in people's hearts. So even though he actually is a really kind person, he would be kind to you when he judged you. He knows lots of things. Ben doesn't know some of the most important things inside of people at a moral level, right, that let him be a good judge. Does that make sense to you guys? All right, Ben, you can go have a seat. All right. Um, now, here's the thing, right? 
So as a judge, you need to know a lot of things that you don't know. Um, but what if Ben, as our judge, makes a bad judgment? What if he judges somebody wrong? Who's he responsible to? Help me out. What if, what if, he's, what if the judge, you know, he makes a bad judgment, he says somebody's guilty and they're innocent? Who's he in trouble with, do you think? Remember, this is a church question, so the answer is, the answer is God, right? So Ben, my example judge, or Katanji Brown Jackson, right, our new Supreme Court judge, ultimately they're answerable before God about the judgments they make on earth, right? So that's our children's message, and guess what? It's our adult message, right? Y'all can have a seat. Thank you for bringing your little kids forward. Thank you for illustrating my sermon, little guy. Um, right? So, so that, in a nutshell, is what we're talking about. Right? So why should we not judge other people? That's a valid question. Why should we not judge other people? Because we are accountable to God. And we don't know enough to rightly judge our neighbor. Amen? And so, in the same way that we don't want to come under the judgment of God... We had better not judge our neighbor. Amen? So those are our two basic ideas today. Number one, we have no excuse to judge others. And number two, God's judgment is based on truth. Right? When God judges, he doesn't just sort of like, hmm, seems like this person was better prepared for court. You know? No, that's not how it works. God's judgment is based on truth. He knows us inside and out. All right, so I thought we'd start with an activity today. So we're all just going to stand up and judge one another. So just get, get in groups of two or three. You know, find somebody that seems nice and just be like, okay, let's judge each other. You go first, okay? So let's just, we're just going to do that activity. I don't know, we'll give it like 25 minutes or so. See what we gain from that. What? No, you guys think I'm kidding, right? It's participatory church service, right? No, obviously we're not going to do that. But think about it. Why are we not going to do that? What's, what is it that makes that such a terrible idea? We instinctively know something here, right? And, um, and I'm going to bring it to the Greek so that you guys can feel like this is really academic stuff happening, right? So in Greek, this word for judge and judgment, krino, to judge, the verb, and krima, judgment, the noun, um, it has a lot of different aspects, right? And for some reason, our children's ministry, you know, yeah, answer yelling didn't produce these definitions, so I'm going to read them to you. Um, one, one definition, right, um, we have judicial justice, deciding between right and wrong. So that's a component of what judgment and judging means in the biblical sense in Greek. But it's interesting, there's a subcomponent of what that means where to judge means to condemn, right? So a judge can, you know, a judge can, can say, I judge that you are innocent, and then you're free, right? But a judge can also say you are guilty, and you have to deal with the consequences of whatever the judge believes you did, right? And so the, the secondary meaning of judgment is to condemn, right? So we, we experience self-condemnation, but we also experience, there's not a word for this, others' condemnation, right? So that's a real thing. And so we talk about judging. It's not just wandering around evaluating people or doing our hypothetical judging activity here at church. It's actually like this condemnation that we place on each other, and it's, 
it's implied in those moments of judgment that some piece of condemnation is going to come. Amen? All right. So again, our two ideas. We have no excuse to judge others. And number two, God's judgment is based on truth. Um, so you know, we all laugh at that activity, but the fact of the matter is everybody judges. In fact, everybody judges like all the time. Um, it's really true, right? We judge people because they're late to stuff. You know, we judge people for having an accent. We judge people's appearance, what they wear. You know, it happens all the time, that kind of judgment. And, uh, and so here's the thing about judgments is that, like, there's a surface level of judging where, like, I think I'm going to judge this person, and you just sort of judge them. That, but that's not generally where judgment inhabits in our mind, in our world. Judgment is happening somewhere deep inside, right? So, so Clarence Hill wrote this book called The Dream Clock, and one of his key ideas is that um, we need community around us to be aware of the judgments we are making all the time. And the reason for that is that these judgments are happening at an unconscious or subconscious level. We're not trying to judge. Those judgments are just in us somewhere, and they come out. And sometimes they come out and make us really embarrassed. And just like so many things that are happening inside, um, we can't see them ourselves, right? We can try to guess at what unconscious judgments we make inside based on things we've surprised ourselves by saying, but more often than not, we need someone else to help us become aware of our blind spots. Amen? All right. And here's the other thing about judging. Like, people don't want to seem judgmental, right? So we talked about sin last week. People want to explain, they want to excuse, and they want to manage sin. And managing sin mostly is about managing the appearance of sin. So no one wants to seem judgmental. So people try to find ways to talk and communicate in a less judgmental way uh, that covers up the fact that everybody is judgmental all the time. There's a fun sermon illustration point. Everyone is judgmental all the time. Um, and I, I'm not going to go way deep here, but prejudice, right? It has the word judge in it. Like prejudice is all over the place. Because as a result of fallenness and sin, the consistent pattern of judging other people and making assumptions is built into the human spirit in a gross way, right? It happens. It's in the world around us. And this is part of what Paul is talking about when he says we have no excuse to pass judgment on others. And we can't become less judgmental just by willing ourselves to judge less. Um, there actually has to be a process initiated by God um, where we acknowledge that God is the righteous judge and not ourselves. All right. So I just want to identify a couple of prejudices that I have been working on, right? Here's one, Southern people, all right? Now, there's a handful of Southern people in this room. Y'all, most of you I met after I really worked through this. But I grew up, like, you cannot get a whole lot further north in the contiguous, you know, lower 48 than I grew up. And, um, you know, like, I literally experienced southerness through, like, television tropes, you know, where, like, the unjust sheriff has, like, a really thick southern accent. Like, that was, like, how I pictured southern people. Um, That's not entirely accurate, um, as it turns out. And uh, it took years to understand 
that that weird feeling I kept feeling was bias. It was, it was me judging people from this whole region of the country. And the only thing that really got me over it was extended time with wonderful southern people. You tracking with me, guys? Uh, it takes time to get over our natural tendency to judge. Amen? And do I have an excuse for judging southern people? No. That's sin, y'all. Don't do that. Okay? All right. Number two, so every right, like, so here's my starting point. Everyone everywhere has a problem with judging. And here's my follow-up point. Man, religious people are worse at this than average, generally. Because out there in the big wide world, there's not even a moral code to use for judging. So there's just kind of this mushy relative morality that we sort of try to loosely enforce, which helps prevent judging in a general sense. But inside of religious communities, we have actual expectations, actual ideas of right and wrong, and it naturally predisposes us to do more judging rather than less. Which is ironic because in a religious community, right, we should be, we should be aware that there's a moral authority above us which should take away our initiative in making judgments. Right? And here's, so having a moral code predisposes religious people to make more judgments. Here's another thing. Whenever there's an inside and an outside of communities, those inside the community, you can, some of y'all social science people can give, a, give me a cool vocab term for this. People inside of an us community enforce rules implicitly. As long as there's an us and an inside, certain cultural behavioral norms will get enforced either ones that somebody chose or ones that just sort of randomly happened. Now, that's ridiculous, but that's part of human nature, right? And so that happens in religious communities. All right, so you take those two things together, and let's apply them to what's going on in the book of Romans here, right? So Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he's writing to two groups in the church, right? We've talked about the the Gentile, Greek-speaking Romans, and the Jewish Romans. Now, the Jewish Romans are, are, are much more religious than the Greek-speaking Romans, right? Because they've, they've come, in many cases, from families. They're the descendants of this beautiful religious tradition. And so this, he just finished about 12 verses where he is just shredding the Greek-speaking Gentile Romans. And now he turns and he's like, okay, let's talk about the, the ethnically Jewish Romans in this church. And so why are they having this conflict where judgment is happening in the church? Let me try to break it down. Um, This isn't like a warm, fuzzy analogy, but it's helpful. It's instructive. Let's imagine that Antioch Brighton, right, was dealing with some official edict that came down from the top that said, uh, everybody who has ever had Christian education or a Christian household that they grew up in has to leave leave the city, Right? And so all the people who grew up with a cultural framework of Christianity would suddenly be gone from our church. Number one, there wouldn't be a whole ton of people left, but there'd be enough people left to keep doing church. But it would be weird, wouldn't it? It'd be weird, weird. Because Christianity is not a culture in the sense that like, we experience cultural expressions all over the world. But any given church does have some cultural expression in it, Right? And so if suddenly all of the people who had exposure to Christianity as children, everybody who went to an educational institution, high school or college that was involved somehow with Christianity, were suddenly gone, and then we sort of figured out from scratch how to do church, right? 
and then everybody comes back. Can you picture that happening? There might be a little bit of like, hey, how come y'all aren't doing this? And what is that about, right? Not because people would be judgmental, but because it would get complicated. We like broke apart our community and tried to separate out people who had had the most exposure to religion, both, both in a good sense and in a negative sense, right? Because religion is not a negative. And suddenly these communities are put back together. There's conflict. On the one hand, these folks had not been thinking about sin for a long time. Problem. On the other hand, these folks are like, what is wrong with y'all folks? Problem. Okay? So these are the two things Paul's trying to deal with in this section of Romans. All right. Um, if you went to a Christian college, I don't ever want you to be deported. I love you. That was really just illustrative purposes. All right? Okay. So let's talk about judgment at a deeper level, right? So we can work our way from the trivial, which is things like people judge smokers. You know, we don't have ashtrays at our church. I think we're not allowed to smoke in here. Um, but people judge smokers. And that's not a righteous judgment, is it? It's not a righteous judgment. And, I mean, people judge the silliest things. But people also judge, people's judgments go pretty deep, and they go pretty, pretty hurtful, don't they? Um, but let's ask a question here that's, that's probably being asked in the church of Rome. What about judging sin? Right? Should we just ignore sin? Like, hey, wow, that person's sinning really bad. It's hurting them, and it's hurting a whole lot of other people. Well, I just better not be judgmental about that, you know? Should we judge sin or no in the church? What do you think? Hmm. It's a tricky question, right? Because we don't want to say, oh, let's just ignore sin. It's probably fine. Welcome to Antioch. Go ahead and sin. Be all right. No, that's obviously not the answer. But is judgment the thing we should apply to dealing with sin in our community? Is it? No. I would say that no, it's not. Um, but here's the thing, right? So judgment has two components, right? Deciding between good and evil. But also it has this component of condemnation. And I think that's the thing in dealing with sin, that it brings so much pain, right? Just think about how God deals with sin. His desire, the desire of Jesus, is to forgive sin. We come, we identify with sin. Jesus says, I knew all about that. I'd love to forgive you. And then Jesus forgives us. And we're able to move forward without the weight of all our sin, right? That's the amazing thing about God. God has the right to condemn for sin, but what does it say? In his patience and forbearance, he's waiting for a future day of judgment to give us the maximum opportunity to say, God, I repent for my sin. Jesus, forgive me. Right? So therefore, in the church, we want to respond to this judgment question the way God himself is responding to it. With this, with this tender, fatherly, approach to sin. It operates in empathy. It doesn't say, hey, that's no big deal. We talked about last week. Don't say that. Right? It acts as though sin is real, but it, it moves in a spirit of empathy and compassion and genuinely walks with people from sin to less sin. Okay? Condemnation doesn't produce righteousness. 
all right? All right. So let's, let's take a look at our passage today um, and, and pull out a few, few things about it. So again, our two points, right? We have no excuse to judge others. I hope we're agreeing about that now. But let's take a look at the second question. What is the nature of God's judgment, and what does it mean for his judgment to be based on truth? All right, let's take a look. Uh, you, therefore, have no excuse. Well, that's certainly true. Um, let's, let's climb through a little deeper into this passage. All right, here it says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Now, I was pretty impressed that they found a child reader who, like, nailed it with the word forbearance, all right? But unless you've had problems with your student loans, you probably don't know what that word means, right? You're like, four of y'all is like, I got problems with my student loans. <laughs> okay, I'm praying for you. <laughs> All right? Forbearance is like extended patience, right? And so, um, so it's interesting. So Holly Nell prepared a, a, a parallel sermon with this sermon. It's a part of our developing preachers cohort. Yeah. Right? And so you can go on YouTube on your way home and check out Holly's Holly's sermon. She preached on this same topic, and she broke this down. So um, this, is, this was helpful, right? So it talks about forbearance, kindness, and patience. Really, they're just saying patience, patience, and patience, right? Um, and so that's the nature of God when he comes as judge, right? Ben Ton came up here. He was smiling, right? There was a, there was a kindness about Ben Ton the judge. Did y'all feel that? Okay. Well, there's something of that in God but God-sized. Um, all right, let's keep moving on here. And, and listen to what it says here. Um, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. Based on truth. And this is so important. It's so important. Because we live in a morally relativistic culture. If you were to walk out on the street and ask someone, be like, how do you decide what's right and wrong? They'd be like, uh, you know, wrong things just feel wrong. Okay, that is a morally relativistic culture, right? Is this, that person's judgments might not be based on truth, amen? In the same way that we have that problem, everybody has that problem, right? Our culture has that problem because it has a moral framework that's not anchored to anything. So they can't make judgments based on truth. We have the Bible, God's written down truth. But we have the problem of not understanding it completely. And we have a bunch more problems, guys, and they're bad. Problem number one, we don't understand people that well. We certainly don't understand well enough to judge them. Number two, you can't see inside anyone. I actually have responsibility of judging over my children, and sometimes it's really hard. Right? They'd be like, Evie took my time. be like, Evie? You go to timeout, you took your brother's toy, and she's like, okay, daddy. And she, later she comes to me, she's like, I didn't take his toy. And I'm like, oh, shoot. No. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, no. Now I am under judgment. I said someone was guilty who was innocent. Also, what did your brother do? <laughs> right? Okay, you're tracking with me in this thing? We don't know what is in people's hearts. Number one, we don't know our ethics and morality as well as God does to have the right to judge people. Number two, we don't know people well enough to judge people. Because only God could ever do this well. 
Only a perfect moral entity who could fully see everything that has ever been done to the extent of knowing hearts and minds and thoughts could rightly judge. And praise God that that's the kind of God that we're following, amen? Therefore, his judgment is based on truth. And he's not just lowering the boom. God's judgment is based on truth, and he works out of this spirit of forbearance, which just means extra patience. All right, so I'm going to work my way down to a little bit more of this, but God's judgment is based on truth. He's a good judge. All right, now take a look here. It, it, you know, this, verses 5 through 16 really are talking about a particular day when judgment will happen, right? So we all know that Jesus died. He rose from the dead. But then he ascended into heaven. And he said, I will return, right? These, actually, these angel, angelic messengers say he will return the same way that he came. And so there will be a day when Jesus comes back to the earth. And in that day, he will judge. The Bible says he'll return and judge. Um, and he has the right to do so. Um, and so here it's talking about being judged by the law. But listen to what it says in verse 16. This will p- take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. So it's not just stuff that we get caught doing. It's the, it's the actual moral fiber that's in us, everything that has ever happened. Um, and that, that cuts both ways. Things that we have, been, we have done will, will be judged, and things that have been done to us will be judged. And God really will make it all right. There will be an accounting for everything that happens. And it will happen in the right way. We can trust that that moment of judgment will be pure and honest and perfect because the character of our God is perfect. Let me pull out a few more things here. Um, listen to this. All who sin... So law refers to moral law. The Old Testament has a lot of laws in it, a lot of rules, chapters and chapters and chapters and chapters of laws. Get a, get a Bible and a year reading plan. You're going to read some laws up in here, okay? Now, what's the deal with that? God cares about morality, and he puts a moral law framework together, at the center of which is the Ten Commandments. Okay, now, when it says all who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law, that's talking about Gentiles, Right? They don't, in terms of their ethnic ancestry, have the law, the Old Testament law of Moses. But um, look, at, look what it says down here. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have, their, they do not have the law. 
They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. All right, so I'm going to talk about two concepts here. We don't, get, we don't get into philosophy a ton here in Antioch, but we're going to try to go there a little bit today. All right? Now, everywhere in the world, as far as I'm aware, murder is a crime. Okay? Now, why would that be? Well, the obvious answer is that murder is bad. But the less obvious answer is there's something weird going on in all cultures all over the face of the earth that are not connected with each other otherwise. All human beings have some sort of built-in moral framework that certain kinds of actions are wrong in all human societies. Now, sociologists spend their whole career coming up with really convoluted ways to explain that. Maybe some of their explanations are good. I don't know. But I can tell you the explanation that really makes sense to me is that God has planted morality in human beings as part of us being made in the likeness of God, as the Bible describes right? Part of being made in the image of God is that we have a sort of built-in morality. And the way we experience that is through our conscience, right? Like, my kids are small, and I'm trying to teach them right and wrong, um, but it doesn't always work as well as I'd like it to, and I cannot predict when their conscience will kick in. But when it does, it is a force of nature, amen? When you get that feeling like, oh boy, I ought not to have done that. You know what I'm tracking with? That feeling? What is that? What is the deal? It's, it's, I would say to you that it is more than just the conditioning, the behavior coaching, the laws, the rules. There's some spiritual component to that. Amen? Now, I'm not going to say your conscience is God because sometimes your conscience can actually be wrong. All right? Your conscience is, is a mental, emotional framework inside of you, but I will say it was put there by God for God to use. Amen? Now, all right, go in there with consciences. All right. Your conscience is not perfect, right? Sometimes you will feel guilty about doing something that was totally fine. Like every, every couple months I get an apology like, hey, I just want to let you know I ate the last muffin. I'm like, I just preached last week that I can't say this is no big deal. But I want to let you know, I don't care, <laughs> okay? I forgive you in the name of Jesus about the muffin thing. There's nothing bad between us. We are right, you and I, okay? So your conscience isn't always leading you 100%, especially the magnitude of things, right? But your conscience is often used by God, all right? How many of you bought a car for the first time in the last two years? You bought a car first time in the last year. None of y'all are proud of it. Yep, I got one. It's pretty nice. Don't want to show off. Okay, great. Congratulations. Y'all got a car. All right. Now, on your car, there's this system called the check engine light. Sometimes it will go on for things that do not matter. Now, I'm not telling you that <laughs> so you can ignore it because frequently it will go on for things that will destroy your car forever, right? The check engine light will come on, and it'll be like, emissions problem. You're polluting. Like, you made me pull over and pay a mechanic to find out I'm polluting? I'm driving a car, all right? Now, sometimes it will go off, and the, the secret meaning of that little check engine light is, if you drive another five miles, this car will be worth negative $500, okay? Now, 
The check engine light in your car is not infallible. It is not God. But when it goes off, you need to take action and figure out what is going on. Amen? Now, your conscience is a God-given mechanism that says, don't ignore this problem. Okay? All right. Whew. Because we all have one of these consciences, it takes a little work sometimes to start listening to it again if you've been sort of burning the edges off of it and trying to get it to not bother you for a long time. But when our conscience is speaking to us, it's powerful because when God judges us, he has the right to judge us because our conscience reminds us constantly about good and evil. God is not judging a bunch of people who have no exposure to right and wrong. When God's judgment comes, he's actually judging a whole world full of people who every day have exposure to their own conscience, which speaks to them about right and wrong. And that's powerful. And so we can't say that God has no right to judge. Whether or not we've read the Bible, whether or not we agree with the Bible, because God's written the law on our hearts, and the spiritual activity of our conscience speaks to us about right and wrong. Right? And what does it say about our conscience? Sometimes it's defending us. Sometimes someone comes like, you're a bad person. And your conscience is like, don't listen to that person. And sometimes you're feeling really good about yourself and your conscience is like, eh, there's some problems here. Right? And God is the one who has the right to judge us. Not even our own conscience has the right to speak judgment over us. But God is the only one with the right to judge. Because why? His judgment is based on truth. And the relational character of his judging is that he is full of kindness, wanting to stretch this thing out as far as possible in order to result in something that builds relationship between he and us. Amen? All right. So I'm going to invite the band to come up. And we're just going to begin to respond a little bit to some of these things. And if you're a kid, I want you to respond too. If you're like a baby, y'all are just okay. I bless you. All right? <laughs> but if you're a kid, respond to this. Uh, you get to be in uh, adult church once a month. This is a special thing. Let's respond to this idea. Um, there's a couple ways that we're going to respond this morning. Um, one, I mean, I talked about how religious communities are judgmental communities by default. We actually need help from God to be less judgmental here at Antioch Brighton because the default behavior will be, us for, for be for us to run around judging everybody because we have a set of moral laws. One way for us to respond this morning that I think God wants to do is to heal judgments that have been levied on us by religious communities. Now, this, is a, this happens to be a church, but we're not the only kind of religious community. There's lots of kinds of religious communities, and all of them are Christian, and all of them judge, okay? Because they're all full of human beings. They all have an inside and an outside. If there's pain in your life, having been judged by some religious community somewhere at some time, why don't you just come up here forward by that weird white rectangle thing? And we're just going to pray. And we're just going to ask the Spirit of God to begin a process of healing. Amen? Now, in 30 minutes at the end of our church service, the whole process of healing will not happen. But we can begin a process of healing just by saying, hey, actually, that's me. I want to go to that place of healing related to, to, to judgments that were put on me by a religious community. Amen.
All right, some of y'all, some of y'all need to lay down the right to judge other people. You, you can feel that you're a judgmental person and you're ready to lay that down and let God be the one who judges everyone, okay? So if that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you. Actually, let's all stand up. Get the blood flowing a little more. If that's you this morning, or you're needing to lay down a judgmental spirit and let God be the judge, that's a transaction you can talk to God about this morning. You can say, God, I'm sorry. And Lord, and you can actually, God doesn't need your permission to judge you. But when you say and you acknowledge his authority to judge, that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing in your relationship with God. And the third thing we're going to do, guys, this is a church service. We're going to worship Jesus in here. Why not worship Jesus this morning on the basis of his kindness in judgment over you? Right? You know, so Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson, she's going to sit on something that looks a little bit like a throne when she goes to work. God sits on a throne to righteously judge all people. And guess what? He sits there while we worship him. Right? Why not worship God as a, as a, as a loving, righteous judge who judges in truth, but who's full of kindness and forbearance towards us? I'm going to pray, and, and we're going to begin to worship together. Jesus, we invite you in this room. We invite you in your kindness. We invite you in your forbearance. We invite you in your goodness in this room. And we say you have the right to judge. You have the right to judge. When you return that day we're waiting for, you'll come and judge all people in rightness. God, we submit ourselves to your moral authority over us today. And God, would you deliver us church-wide from a judgmental spirit that steals away life, that condemns and hurts. Lord, would you deliver us from that spirit? Lord, would you make us a people that hates sin and loves righteousness but doesn't walk in condemnation? Would you give us grace, a spiritual empathy and love? Would you make our character like your own when we come against sin? In Jesus' name, speak to us this morning. We worship you. We love you, God. Amen.